Long before The Walking Dead. Long before 28 Days Later. And even before the Nintendo game Zombies Ate My Neighbors. The original zombie classic, Night of the Living Dead, in 1968 changed the game entirely, bringing to pop culture the idea of flesh-eating ghouls chasing you down, knocking down doors, and trying to eat your brains. And you know what that means. They're coming to get you, Michael. Welcome to Episode 3 of The Horror Section with Casey Campbell and Michael Anderson. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Was that creepy? That was scary. The movie was scary. That was scary. Everything is scary. Everything is just terrifying. And this is the... I actually want to point out, this is the first time we've done a recording of this podcast at night. Yeah. So it's actually it's actually a lot spookier. <laughs> it, it really is. Just literally looking when we were walking in here, it was uh, frightening. Yeah, it's it's starting to get cold too. It's starting to feel like fall. Like it's there's a little bit of chill in the air. It's the perfect time to start watching a lot of horror movies, or in Michael's case, to just start watching horror movies in general. Me to remind myself and rewatch some movies. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was the perfect time, but I do think it is a time. So you've been understandably spooked because we started this podcast. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I watched this next movie by myself in the dark bordering so, on the evening too it was late <laughs> afternoon okay the i lied the sun was setting i lied it was dusk okay but dusk is a scary time uh, dusk is when the uh, uh, yeah. it's the 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 horror is about to happen the witching hour when is the witching hour actually i don't know i need to look that up what is the you witch- don't know what the witching hour is i don't know what the witching hour wow. is wow i'm going to look You're, that up keep talking yeah, i'm going to look that talking. up <laughs> well actually i'll tell you i'll tell you a sad truth is that i went to make a drink actually i did make a drink and I put ice in it, and I was, like, stalling, and I made one of those, like, old-fashioned drinks that takes about 33 minutes to make just to stall myself again. And, uh, and as I made the drink, uh, I set it down, and I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a drink and calm the nerves. But I couldn't even drink it because, like, my stomach was so tensed up. You don't want to let your senses down either. <laughs> no, I need to know what's behind me all times. <laughs> It actually reminded me of the first time, <laughs> one of these times, I think you'd get a kick out of this, that I, I had a, my parents were gone in oh, high school. Oh. Yeah. And you bring a lady over? Well, I did. I had a, I had a girlfriend of like the first four dates or whatever, and we hadn't quite fully made out yet, you know, the quote oh, unquote yeah, make that, out. That you're, mo- you're looking forward to yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was very excited. So I popped the movie into the VHS and I put my arm around her and the movie started to play. And little did I know that I rented Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> how did you how did you not know well, you rented I knew Saving I rented, Private Ryan? We didn't, we didn't know how intense it was. This'll get the fires burning. Let's watch, you know, a bunch yeah. of GIs get mowed down on Omaha well, Beach. Well, and like super heartfelt, and it was like so emotional. And, well, and it open it literally opens up with like a an old man veteran. Yeah. Walking the graveyards at Normandy, like looking at his fallen comrades. Let, well, I, I've got a, I've got a boner already. Just yeah, yeah. Well, let me, t- let me, God. let me tell you. If if parents are looking, those of you who are parents out there who are looking for a chastity belt, like just put on Saving Private Ryan when they're when they're in the basement, uh, the young couple, and be like, here's a great movie. Try to make out to it, cause you won't be able to. You'll be too clutched by like Devin, Sarah. Are you watching war dramas down there? You better not be watching anything other than Patton. It's it was it was it was completely uh, an emotional movie, and and that's what I felt like. I had my drink in my hand, and I was like, I'm gonna have a drink. I'm gonna calm my nerves. 
I'm going to watch this. I'm going to brag about it on the podcast. And instead, I was gripped from the first moment of this damn movie, and I couldn't even watch it. I was so scared. All right. Well, I feel like I should share a similar story then. When I was in high school, my girlfriend and I, who's, we, we shall remain nameless at this point because she now she's... You you have a name, though. You said we should. I have a name. <laughs> I have, you know my name. Yeah. So we, we'll, we'll leave the, uh, the, the poor girl out of it because she's married now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. She might be embarrassed by this. Her name was, no, um, um, but I remember in high school, actually, one night she and I rented Poltergeist mm -hmm. and we didn't make it to the no, movie. Halfway we started fooling around and See, that's know, the difference things got hot and, and heavy. But the best thing was is that Poltergeist later became a euphemism for her and I when we wanted to go fool around. She yeah. was like, you want to go watch Poltergeist? I'm like, yeah, I want to go watch Poltergeist. It means I'm getting lucky. Yeah, well, it's the exact opposite. And once again, how we said... <laughs> The horror so, section. Actually, so the actually, horror section is where our lives merge and diverge. <laughs> meaning, I went over to celibacy and the priesthood, and you decided <laughs> to use Poltergeist because you were so calm and collected. I'm sure you have the poster of that too. Yeah, I mean, my Polter, Poltergeist just became an aphrodisiac for yeah. me. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that. that's the difference, folks. All right, so we're going into week two of the horror section. We walk into the video store. We make our way back to the horror section. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> Mike says, I'm, I have I'm to sorry. use the bathroom. Excuse me, sir. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> Car drives off. I um, have my no, we're in the back in the horror section. I'm I'm blocking the entrance so you can't escape. <laughs> we're looking at the row of videos. What jumps out to you about the cover for this week's movie, Night of the Living Dead? <sighs> I don't even like the way you say it. So. What? There's nothing wrong with the way I'm saying <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So, so okay, so you ask me why I chose to rent this movie in the horror section. Right. By the way, we got a late fee on our <laughs> on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And we, didn't, need, we didn't rewind it either. <laughs> I'm going to need 99 cents from you. Um, There's a flag on our account. So, so I'm stalling again because I don't want to admit this, but... I chose this one because I knew it was a classic horror movie, but the VHS cover is not that scary. The lie. I lied to you. I tried to sneak this one in. And you thought you were getting away with us watching an old black and white horror yes. movie that was going to be cheesy and going to be like felt like a Vincent Price movie or something like that, didn't you? And I should have known because I'm a film buff that color movies had been around forever and they just chose to make this black and white because they were broke. Yeah, they made it on the cheap. <laughs> and and because of that, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to get away with like this 1920s movie. No, this thing was scary as hell. So your question of what on the box cover made me scared? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing scared me of it, but I knew the lore, I knew the legend, and I knew I could not continue this podcast with any credibility without watching this movie. Right. I, I have to ask you now that I have it in my hands and I'm renting it, mm -hmm. so... When was the first time you watched this movie? Okay, so the first time I saw this movie was actually across the street at our neighbor's house, and we weren't supposed to be watching it. Or I wasn't supposed to be watching it. No movies. one was supposed to be watching it. It's too scary. But we weren't supposed to be watching it over there. But I was like, you know, I, I sat through the whole thing because there was an older girl who lived at that house. I mm -hmm. thought she was kind of cute. And I'm like, I don't want to look weak in front of her. I yeah. want to look tough. I want to I mean, watch Night of the Living Dead and be cool. I mean, your lack of uh, armpit hair probably gave that away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the fact that my voice had not dropped. Yep. But anyway, 
I would, I watched it, and for the next two nights, I was scared. I couldn't sleep. I heard sounds outside. And I oh, wow. Was this is you admitting you're scared. This is what I was admitting I was scared. But you this know what I think it actually was? I think what was eating me alive more than the fear of zombies was the fact I hadn't told my parents. Oh. So I couldn't sleep. Guilt, the biggest guilt. monster. <laughs> guilt is the biggest monster of all. So finally, I told my parents that I had watched Night of the Living Oh, wow. Dead. That, can you paint me that picture? Because so I'm super I, curious. I was, I was scared in the middle of the night, and I couldn't sleep, and I would like go into my parents' room and be like, I can't sleep. And so finally I was like, I need to come clean and just mm-hmm. tell them. So I told him, it's like, I watched a scary movie at the Lane's house. Like, yeah. well, what movie did you watch? I think it was going to be far worse. I was like, Night of the Living Dead. And my dad's like, grow up. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is really good case. You can only watch Hoosiers in this house. Um, <laughs> this is really good case because I actually need to come clean with my folks. I mean, I know that they're older and I'm older yeah, and, I have a family, and I have a family of my own. But I need to come clean to my mom that I'm watching horror movies because I'm terrified. <laughs> it'll mom. Help, it'll help you sleep better at night, I guarantee. Because yeah. right after I told them that, I slept better. Case, I'm going to need a five-minute break. I got to go call my mom. <laughs> Tell you what, I think it's time to dive into the movie. So why don't you regale everyone with what is Night of the Living Dead for the 3% of the listeners who've never watched it. But before that, I still have to do my spoilers are coming. So you're stalling. To, you don't want me to talk about this. I don't. All want you're to re- doing is stalling. Look, look, I don't want. I didn't want to relive this. It's like a, if I rebirth the dead, which is this movie, I'm just have to listen to it again, and I'll get scared again because it's night. All right, let me talk about the movie then. Here we go. So Night of the Living Dead starts off with a brother and sister named Barbara and Johnny, and they are going to this very rural cemetery in the middle of nowhere to leave a wreath on their father's grave. So their mother wants them to leave a bouquet on the grave every year to honor his death. So they're in the graveyard, and Barbara's always been scared of the graveyard, and Johnny kind of gives her shit about this, and that's where the classic line of the opening, they're coming to get you, Barbara, that's where that comes from. I didn't know where that came from. Is It's such a yeah, good line. Yeah, because everyone uses it. Dude, rewatching this movie again, I forgot how tense the opening really oh, is. And, and because you see him floating in the background. There's like a telling... pause and like the, the oh. way he pauses where he's like, you're still scared, aren't you? Stop it, Johnny. Stop yeah. it. So they're attacked by uh, we, they don't know at the time, but we know it's a zombie. There's a guy walking around the graveyard, presumably just climbed out of a crypt or a coffin or whatever. He Case, attacks. Case, I gotta go. <laughs> the door's locked from the inside, <laughs> Michael. Um, I hate this studio. So Johnny dies. The uh, He gets in a brawl with the corpse. The corpse uh, throws him against a gravestone. Johnny hits his head, and he's knocked out. Then Barbara tries to escape. So she gets in the car, but there are new keys. So she releases the parking brake and rolls down the hill, and then the car crashes, and the zombie's still chasing after her. So she because finds... Of- because of the lack of power steering. And first right. I, I saw it and I was like, This is why really a comment on the motor industry <laughs> yeah, in the late why 60s. Why couldn't she turn it? And then I remembered my best friend growing up. We would go to high school every day in a Dodge Polaris. Feel free to look that up. It is the <laughs> it is like the second biggest car ever created. It is huge. And, and when his power steering would cut out, he couldn't turn it. So when they turned up the cemetery, I was like, Oh, it harkens back to my high school days. <laughs> like, you knew it was they, a real horror. You knew they were in trouble at that point. Yeah, it was a real horror. It wasn't like, oh, there might be zombies in that gravity. You're like, they're stuck, and that power steering is yeah. fucked. So Barbara finds this, um, what she thinks is an abandoned farmhouse. She runs inside, barricades herself, and when she's in there, she discovers that there's someone else in the house, a character named Ben. 
So Ben is trying to find out what happened to Barbara, and she becomes very kind of catatonic for the rest of the movie. And then you discover there's even more people hiding out in the basement. There is a young couple named... Um, the Coopers? Well, there's that's the older couple, but there's Tom and Judy, who are a younger couple. There's Harry and Helen Cooper, an older couple, who are there with their daughter, whose character's name is Karen. And you find out later that Karen has actually been bit by a zombie, so they're trying to nurse her back to health, but they don't know that essentially Karen has been taking clock. The zombies are tripling in numbers outside. They barricade themselves. They try to fight it off. They, you know, they block the windows, the doors. Would later be called in the um, in the TV world a bottle episode. They're all just stuck in one location. Eventually, they find a television, and that's how we find out the information of why the zombie thing is happening. Apparently, a satellite crashed from some kind of Jupiter or Saturn mission, yeah. and there's some kind of weird thing in the air. They don't really get into details about it, but essentially, something from space came, and that's what's causing the dead to not die. Radiation. Radiation, there you go. So this was still in the age of the space race, so I'm sure that was very yeah. prominent in people's minds. By the end of the movie, the only survivor left is Ben, and in one of the most tragic moments in movie history, was shot. Happy and, uh, ending. Happy ending. Good night, everyone. Very bleak, very bleak. <laughs> because this movie came out the same year that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. The is same that, year that, that Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Romero said that wasn't a, that didn't affect the movie and how they shot it because mm. the time Martin Luther King Jr. was shot, was the movie had already been yeah. shot and they were trying to find a distributor. But, but it was it was Vietnam and everything like oh, that. Oh, Vietnam. So and both weird. this and Texas Chainsaw were highly influenced by the fact that people were seeing carnage on the nightly and news for the friends, first time ever and their friends dying coming home they, in caskets yeah. and yeah oh. so it's i mean it's a dark time i mean that's why you know as as horrifying as the vietnam war was like we got some really dark movies because there was just a different mentality going on at the time there was kind of a bleak uh welcome to the horror section where we uh, put a positive spin on <laughs> vietnam no but all these directors said they were influenced by that so that's the plot of night of the living dead mike i want to ask you what were some moments in this movie that jumped out to you immediately? Like, what when I ask you about this movie, like, what what immediately comes to the front of your mind? I think the thing that comes to my mind the most is there were a lot of jump scares in this one. Like, it was much more there were. There were. frightening than I expected. Like, again, I picked this box art because I thought, an easy one, Mike, you deserve a break. You already put up with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You already entered this podcast. And then it was frightening. Like the first time we saw that woman who had her face gnawed off, it was so well shot and, and so terrifying. And then you get in the political dynamics of like what was happening inside of the house. And like, it was clear that like this, you were in for a story as well as in for a scare. And it was great. So many movies and TV shows have borrowed from this oh, idea. Yeah. The idea of like a group of people stuck together in a situation. Actually, I would say this is actually predated in one situation by people kind of like, you know, the group mentality and turning on each other and mm -hmm. who can they trust. What movie would that be? Actually, not a movie. An episode oh. of The Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. It's called mm -hmm. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. And it's about a group of people who live on this one street. Mm -hmm. And there's this giant announcement that just comes from space saying, like, the monsters are about to arrive. Whoa. Or the monsters are already here. And then the rest of the episode is, like, all of them blaming the other person and saying, no, no, you're the monster. No, you're the monster. And it's, like, this uh, group mentality. And, like... Everyone turns on each other. Exactly. Oh, exactly. this is why The Twilight Zone was off my list. 
So good, so good. So you see kind of that in Night of the Living Dead. You see it later in movies, especially um, what comes to mind is um, Frank Darabont's The Mist. Very similar thing of people stuck in one location while outside forces try to come in and kill them. But I will say that Night of the Living Dead, it was a lot scarier than I remembered it. And Texas Chainsaw, when we talked about that, it was pretty much how I remembered it. Yeah. I mean, the intensity was there, and I was like, oh, my God, that was intense. But Night of the Living Dead was genuinely creepy at times. Yeah, and, and you never knew where it was going to go. But they put up so many ticking time bombs. Mm-hmm. Like, when I saw the brother put on the gloves, I was like, this is because we don't know him. And he's going to come back at some point, which I'm talking about it from 2018. Yeah. But I guarantee even in 1968, when someone watched this, they also said, why are these gloves so important? That's such a good point, because when Johnny, because spoiler alert at the end, Johnny is one of the zombies. Once they finally, once the zombies finally break into the house, mm-hmm. zombies, one of, uh, Johnny, John, Jombie. Jombie. Jombie is one of the corpses that come into the house, and Barbara, who is just, you know, devastated by grief and, and it's a crazy night and use oh she's so useless yeah. the whole movie yeah that is one thing about this this is not one of the um more uh, feminist this is not, movies this is not final girl no 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 barbara is not the final girl there is a remake of this movie mm-hmm. neither living dead um the 1990 remake now of course there were zombie movie after zombie movie once this came out including some really good ones and some really bad ones which there are too many bad ones to list there's like a handful of good ones and then a lot of bad ones um, but in the remake in 1990, the character of Barbara, they fixed all of the Barbara problems from the older one. Like, oh. she's much more of a badass. She's kind of like Sarah Connor. Like, wow. she kicks ass, takes names. Like, mm-hmm. she is as as formidable a foe as the character of Ben, who in the remake is played by Tony Todd, who played Candyman. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And um, it's a good game. I actually, I am a fan of both. Both the original Night of the Living Dead and the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Because both, that got panned. So, it did, yeah. it did. But they're actually, both of them are really good. Like, obviously, they updated the gore, and there's a lot more scares in the new one. The old one gets props because it's the original, but the new one is actually pretty enjoyable. So yeah. if you sit down to watch the original Night of the Living Dead, I would encourage you to also sit down and watch the uh, the remake as well, because it's very good. So, Case, I feel like I know this answer. What is emblematic about this particular movie and why you wanted me to see this to define the horror section zombies i mean i feel like i know this answer but i mean when we started this podcast we discussed like should we start at the very beginning of horror should we be watching like the old universal monster movies should we watch yes and I, said, and I said yes and i said no because <laughs> a lot of those like yeah you you know give credit where credit's due but there are far better vampire, there are far scarier vampire stories than Bella Lugosi's original Dracula. Yeah, Bella's in White Zombie. He is, yeah. yeah. That's one of the Bella Lugosi ones yeah. in the 40s or but 50s. But it's not these type of zombies. Not the zombies we've come to know. Yeah. So the thing about Night of the Living Dead, which I really, really appreciate, is that it's kind of the Rosetta Stone of modern zombie movies, mm-hmm. but it still holds up. Yeah. It's not one of those ones where you watch and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's the first, you know, <laughs> as a film student, you're always like, okay, we're going to go back and uh, we're going to watch uh, Birth of a Nation because it was the first to do wide sweeping shots with, you know, massive crowd scenes. You're like, this doesn't hold up at all. It's racist. Yeah. It's terrible. It's slow. But you've got to pay due because it's like, well, it did do some innovative shit. Yeah. But you're like, no one needs to watch this movie again. Night of the Living Dead, it's innovative, but it still like keeps your attention. It still yeah. creeps you out. I loved watching the reveal of 
the rules. You know what I mean? Yeah, the yeah, rules yeah. were built like when we Which cut are kind to, of common knowledge. I mean, I feel common like common knowledge. I even knew that even not watching yeah, this. Well, because I feel like you go to a Halloween store, they've got a novelty sign saying like top ten ways to survive a zombie a apocalypse. A zombie apocalypse. Right. And and even though he didn't even call it a zombie, we all knew and we 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 extrapolated the fact that this is zombies. And I loved just being like, when are they going to learn that the headshot is what kills them. Right, when are right. they going to learn that like fire pushes them back? You know, when are they going to learn that a bite happens? And when that bite happened, and this is the genius of this movie, is he asked, what happened to your daughter, Mrs. Cooper? And she said, oh, she was bitten by one of those. I actually liked knowing the rules because I was like, oh, oh shit. shit. And then another ticking who's clock comes die? into play. Yeah, yeah. who's going to die right, right. because of his daughter? And I was like, are they going to use a young girl to kill somebody? I was petrified. So yeah. it's one thing to have gone into the movie, like bought a ticket, 1968, sat down in the hot theater because I'm sure it wasn't air conditioned. And <laughs> right. And, and sat down and been like, what is this movie? And it's another thing to have been in your dark living room <laughs> with your dog who is sitting seven feet away because she refuses to sit on your lap. Well, and that's, you actually raise a really good point here because while obviously I didn't see Night of the Living Dead when it came out in theaters, I still saw Night of the Living Dead late 80s, early 90s. And mm-hmm. this is before... Walking Dead before yeah. 28 Days Later, which kind of like kicked the zombie genre back into gear. Yep. This is before, you know, I saw any of the Dawn of the Dead or anything like that. So as zombies came more to the forefront and they became more part of the popular zeitgeist, you know, I, I already knew this stuff. It was kind of like, it was my hipster moment of like, oh, I was into zombies before they were cool. Yeah. And then everybody got well, into zombies. they're dead, so they're cold. They're very cold, very yeah. chill. Yeah. Um, But it is interesting what you're saying is that you have kind of... You've seen the whole arc, at least up to this point, of how zombies have kind of made and their way then, into popular culture. And then I went to chapter one, yeah. which was really fun. You I went, went to chapter one and started reading and saying, oh, I know how this book ends. And, and yet you got, you I got never to, you knew got how to, it started. You got to prequel it. Yeah. You essentially got to prequel it. That was quite fun. So I have a question. So if you get eaten, how much eaten of your body can you survive until you become another zombie i mean as long as they don't eat the brain you can just crawl around you can crawl head. around remember there's like, that roll, uh, there's roll that, ahead just roll ahead yeah. i mean i don't think they'll eat all of it we're not talking about like they use every part of the buffalo <laughs> zombies are just going to eat on the flesh they're going to eat the organs all that stuff so it's like you can lose all that stuff as long as the brain isn't affected it's like that. There was that zombie in Walking Dead that was literally had no legs and don't one pretend, arm. Don't pretend I know Walking Dead because right, I never a, watched there's it. There's a zombie in Walking Dead and it only has like one arm, no legs, and it's literally crawling towards somebody. Yeah. It's in the pilot, and then Rick was like, "I feel sorry for you," and then hit, shoots yeah. the zombie in the head. As long as the brain isn't messed with, then the zombie survives. Okay, so you can get eaten by your own daughter and turn into a zombie, which happened in yeah. this movie, and be okay. As long as your brain is not eaten. But yet, zombies are supposed to like brains. Well, here's the thing. The whole zombies eat brains thing didn't come about until the movie Return of the Living Dead in 1985. It's kind of like, okay, Night of the Living Dead shot off in two different directions. John Russo co-wrote the movie with George A. Romero. Mm -hmm. George A. Romero went off and then made Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, 
Diary of the Dead. A lot of dead. Um, lot Island of, dead. of the Dead, I think. Yeah. There's like there's a whole bunch of the Zom the Romero Dead Zom of the Dead. Dead of the Dead. Um, and then John Russo went and made Return of the Living Dead, which is kind of a sequel to it, but kind of an offshoot. It's almost like in the Marvel or DC universe where they're like, we're going to make three Joker movies. Yeah. So it's like that. But in Return of the Living Dead, which was John Russo's movie, not uh, Romero's, that's the first one where you hear a zombie go, brains, brains. Because they can talk. Yeah. They, they can talk. Oh, they're mess. weird. Like Return of the Living Dead is really campy yeah. and kind of wacky. Yeah. It's like, it's ridiculous. The Romero ones are very serious and like, there's a lot more social commentary in it, mm -hmm. but the Russo one is just pure 80s, like, just, it, it almost borders on slapstick, to yeah. be honest. It's fun as shit, but it's not as, like, scary or socially conscious as the Romero ones. It's kind of like what we were talking about with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. When I looked up that poster and I said, what the hell are they doing in this pose? And you said... Oh, for Texas Chainsaw? Yeah, it's a, it's a riff off of the Breakfast Club poster. So like yeah, they're that's they're preposterous. They're setting they're well they're letting you know that the sequel is just bonkers and batshit and crazy and fun. That's the essence of the eighties, a money grab. We had something that was good. Let's make it again, but like let's just call it what it is. It's gonna be cheesy. A lot of the eighties horror is there's a few here and there, like Carpenter's got a couple, Wes Craven's got a few, but a lot of the eighties horror movies are just completely bonkers and batshit. Like and, and there's something fun about that. Like, there's fun, like, the slasher movies are ridiculous and fun, but the 70s, late 60s for some part, and then maybe the late 90s are when horror started becoming a little more Horrific. scary. Horrific. Yeah, because yeah. it was reflections of our own world and things like that. I will say that George A. Romero, after he made Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, he made Day of the Dead and then Land of the Dead, and he really got hung up on the idea of, like, zombies are just us. We're the zombies. And yeah. it's like this social commentary thing, and... And there's actually a line of a character in Land of the Dead where he watches the zombies kind of going off on their own. And they're like, well, should we do something about them? And he goes, no, they're just like us trying to make their way. But also trying to eat your brains yeah. and killing you. Like, I don't agree with the point that like, oh, zombies are their own species. I'm like, no, they're dead bodies trying to eat you and kill you. They're not trying to like, you yeah. know, they don't just want a home somewhere to go live somewhere. Like they are going to kill you or no, try that, to kill you. That being said, uh, in my research, I learned he was heavily influenced by I Am Legend. And I will go ahead and say that movie, because I have seen the Will Smith I Am Legend. Yeah, yeah. But I have, uh, you know, I read a couple books here and there, and that's a book that I'm actually very familiar with. And I absolutely love it. And I think I think he got hooked. Well, I Am Legend does it really well. I think he is so hooked on that book, not the Will Smith movie, which ends with him being like, I'm Will Smith. Let's flex it out. I'm a hero. <laughs> All humans win, you know? Like, yeah. But the actual book, at the end of the day, the humans realize we're the boogeyman is yeah. so powerful. Like, because the, race, scene, the yeah. race of zombies is now the, uh, the, majority. the majority. Yeah, and yeah. more than the majority. Like, you're just an insect to them. Yeah. You're the boogeyman to them. If you check out the Blu-ray, they actually shot that ending for the Will Smith one. Oh, really? Yeah. because Why didn't they do it? I mean, because it's Hollywood, man. Yeah, They're because that. that is so powerful when you're when you think about it. Like humans, we we put ourselves on the top, but we're only the top because we're the top. Right. But if somebody is, if we're second, yeah. what does that mean? That's actually a really good point, man. I never considered it that way. That because I had just I had read somewhere at some point that he obviously he was influenced by I Am Legend, the great novel by the awesome Richard Matheson, who is an amazing contribution to modern horror. Stephen King says he owes most of his 
uh, fascination with horror for, mm-hmm. to Richard Matheson. Wow. Richard Matheson wrote also a lot of the old episodes of Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. I, I owe him a standing ovation because I want to avoid him all times. <laughs> but he wrote some great stuff. I can see why Romero went for that idea of like, okay, the zombies are us or the zombies are the new normal and yeah. we're the minority and like, and how we're do we... killing each other now. Yeah. And how yeah. do we handle this? So, okay, I'm willing to pass it. Yeah. Here's one, but at least Richard Matheson was very poetic with it. The later Romero ones are very on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about these zombies because when I went into this, I thought black and white. Again, I was picturing the twenties for some reason because I was picturing before uh, <laughs> like Wizard of Oz, a vaudeville piano. Yeah, and you know, not scary. <laughs> but it was this was Abbott ter- and Costello meet the flesh eaters. This was terrifying, and so I was thinking, okay, zombies. These are going to be slow zombies. They're going to be dumb zombies. They're going to be whatever. But these zombies actually had some brains on them. They were using rocks to smash the windows and reach in. Part of me wonders, though, like, was this the plan? Like, because there are some zombies that are like, like the guy in the beginning, like, it's a struggle to fight this thing. It's not just like reanimated flesh. Like, he has a mission. He's got motivation. Mm -hmm. But other zombies in this are like, just kind of like walking around, flailing, very slow. I don't know if you remember this case, but when they ate the couple in the burning truck, they handed out the meat. (laughs) They were like, (laughs) and you get a leg, and you get a forearm, and they yeah. were there having like a picnic. They were having an absolute picnic. Well, that's I, I will. Yeah. I don't think there was a plan. I think there was just inconsistency in the zombie extra work. <laughs> so, so one of the things I absolutely loved on that note is seeing the very first zombie, and I was like, "You, sir, are going to be what hundreds of thousands of extras on TV shows and movies." are going to try to emulate. Every student or low-budget yeah. film. Even even a couple of the movies that I worked on in, in film school, like we had to pretend to be zombies in order to get like oh, $7 yeah. and a lunch. <sighs> but it was so interesting to watch because it was just so different. And you could see like this actor processing it. And I loved it. I loved it. And yeah. in fact, I loved there were smart-ass zombies. Like when they were messing up that dude's truck, yeah. I was like, are they just vandalizing that they, truck? They knew what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're they're going to go sell those auto parts later to some, like, you know, uh, chop shop. You make a really good point, though, because every zombie movie made after Night of the Living Dead, all of the zombies in it are 100% consistent. Yep. Like, yep. they all had the same note. The second AD told everybody, like, okay, this is how you do a zombie. <laughs> Anybody else tries something different, like... You're fired. You're out. We're not going to use you. And even in the later ones where the zombies are fast, like 28 Days Later, like, all those zombies are fast. Yeah. There's, like, one slow one but who's like, I'm doing my own zombie thing. <laughs> yes. But in this, like, no, you're tr- it's so true. They're trying to figure out what zombies are. Yeah. And you see that inconsistency, which some people could look at that as, like, bad oh, direction, bad direction not, or low budget. Not. And in a way, it's kind of endearing <laughs> because yeah. it's like, oh, they're trying to figure it out, like yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah. And I think he got the masses right, like... Everybody's slow and encroaching, but when he had the individual actor like doing the zombie role, all of those zombies are unique. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually a really good point. I kind of want to rewatch it now to be like, okay, what choice did this zombie make? Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, we talked about a lot of moments in this movie that scared you, that you laughed at, or you thought were, was unique. Were there any things in this movie that surprised you? I think one of the things that I loved about this movie was the music. Like, I don't even yeah. know who the music was. Music but like, is really good. That this. was so disheartening yet welcoming. I mean, that is the warped nature of this movie. I, I was curious because as you're talking about the music, I was like, man, I do remember the music in this movie 
like there's a weird kind of like undertone. It's almost like the, even the the theme, like there's kind of this like weird theremin that kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, it's very creepy. Yes. I looked up something about the music. The opening title music with the car on the road had already been used before. Oh, wow. In a TV episode of the series Ben Casey. Uh, the episode was entitled, I Remember a Lemon Tree. Okay. <laughs> and it yes, was also used in does. an episode of Naked City, which was like one of the first cop shows. And it actually says here that most of the music in the film had been previously used on the soundtrack for a science fiction B-movie called Teenagers from Outer Space. Okay. So okay. they just use music from other films, which wow. is which That's, is kind of, I mean, which is still done today. I mean, Tarantino does that all the time. I, I mean, in, in one sense, I want to be like, oh, aghast. How dare you? I just gave a compliment to that. In the other breath, I want to say, this is independent filmmaking 101. That's how you do it. You don't have the yeah. money to hire someone to do the score. So, but but he, you, he used them from a bunch of other like B-movies and yeah. other films. And if like, it emotionally tied to him, even if the movie, I'm sure the B-movie of whatever you said, Aliens Cruising in Space... Uh, wasn't that good. <laughs> Teenagers from outer space. Teenagers but yes, from pretty outer much. space. Even if that wasn't even good, I'm sure he was like, that emotionally touched me, so let's see what we can get. Okay, so Mike, who was your favorite character in this movie? You know, that's that's hard because I want to go Ben because mm-hmm. he was like such a leader, but I'll, I'll give up a little later why I think his strategy wasn't solid. But I'm going to say Mrs. Cooper. Really? She, yes. Very Ms. interesting choice. I, I I don't know who. Elaborate. Uh, well, because she had so many badass lines. I mean, like in the era of Me Too right now, like yeah. she was like, I'm going to misquote it, but she said something like, listen, Mr. Cooper, I forget his name. Living with you is hard, but dying with you would be impossible or something like that. Like. God. It was so like powerful, like I want out of this relationship, yeah. but we have to get through this first. Mm-hmm. And then when she introduced herself to Barbara, she was like, don't be afraid of me. I'm Helen Cooper. And it was like, oh shit, she's cold. She's cold as ice. And and I was so disappointed when she didn't like kill her own. I am gu- Helen motherfucking Cooper. Yes. I am the president of the PTA. And I, and you I, have no idea of the, uh, the 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 limitlessness of my badassery. In my research, I actually learned that Ben, what's the actor's name? Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. I guess he rewrote a lot of the lines because he was supposed to be the rough and tumble truck driver. Yeah, that's right. He was supposed to be a truck driver, and he spoke very kind of like uh, rough, you know, lower class. Yeah. And but Dwayne Jones is a very educated man. He's just like, no, I'm going to talk like a. I'm going to talk like who talk I like am. Myself. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and he became himself in that. I think that's what's amazing. Are you going to ask who my favorite character is? Oh, yeah, Casey. Who's your favorite character in this? Oh, it's easy. Easy? It's one of the rednecks who is being interviewed and says, <laughs> "Okay, they're all dead, man. Yeah, they're all messed up. <laughs> is that He's it? my favorite character in the whole thing. Was that the sheriff or was that what No, he's just one of the random guys <laughs> being interviewed. Like, he goes, what's happening here, sir? And he's like, yeah, they're all dead. They're all messed up. I mean, There's he, such brutal honesty in that quote that I can yep. I can't go to anyone else. <laughs> okay, fair can't enough. Fair else. enough. I, I thought you were going to go to the complexity of uh, Ben or the. Stop, they're all dead. They're all messed up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have something to say, Casey. At the end of the day, Ben was a hero amongst heroes. I don't even know if I want to say this because I know what our Twitter feed is going to go to. But after all the shit went down, Ben hides in the cellar. Yeah, that's a good point. And he survives 
in the cellar. If they had all just gone down in the cellar. Yes, granted there was a, 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 zombie a little zombie. Yeah, there was a little, a little zombie. But they could have But out, they could have killed it yeah. by losing one person. One of them would have died. That's right. my bet. So you're saying the old conservative white man was right and the young heroic black man was wrong. I mean I just want to put you on record, Mike, <laughs> in saying that. It was putting the, that out there. It was the horrible, horrible, horrible revelation. It is true. Like Ben it's just so, ends up in the cellar. Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, there's a cellar with a huge door and a lock. And he could I'm have sent safe. Cooper out first. He's like, I think the zombies are gone. Better go check it out. Yeah, Coop. he yeah. could have. He could have absolutely gotten Cooper out of it. But right, like, right. but like, look, I, I am, I am all about recognizing the potency of this movie and how much this movie forwarded the progress of of so much that our country needed Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day everyone should have gone in the cellar locked the door and waited you know what actually they could have probably i I don't know when extension cords were invented but they probably (laughs) could have found an extension cord brought it downstairs and brought the radio end of story fair point yeah (laughs) it's a terrible (laughs) point it's a terrible point. point I think that brings us to the end of the movie. And I don't know how to even talk about it because I'm sure there are people who are much smarter than both you and I who've understood that the hero must die. I remember seeing it for the first time and it was a gut punch. And especially, I mean, I saw it as a little kid too, so it was even a double oh, right. gut punch where you're just like, hero doesn't get killed. Hero rides off into the sunset. You know, hero gets the girl. He doesn't get shot randomly yeah and it's not even a situation where like he gets shot and someone was like no 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 shit that was like that guy wasn't a zombie they They just like "Eh, it's a zombie i think they actually said great shot yeah yeah the sheriff was like great shot yeah so there i mean there's a lot of and and again there's so many and i'm sure there have been multiple smarter people essays and theses written on this moment in this movie because again like you have a bunch of you know, backwoods redneck shooting him, yeah. which is its own thing with dealing mm-hmm. with racism. And then you have the the time period this took place in. The complexity of this ending in that time period. We're yeah. not from that time period, so right. I don't think we can even judge what's going on. Vietnam, what'd you say Martin Luther King was shot? Uh, two big assassinations that year. Um, uh, MLK Jr. was killed and uh, Bobby Kennedy was shot that year. Yeah, so two civil rights, full activists. So... I think we just have to look at it from the horror section. I think at the end of the day, at its most primal, it's just a gut punch because yeah. this guy has literally been through hell. Yeah. And he emerges and the sun is shining and it's daylight again. And we're like, he's going to get away with he, or he's going to get away from this. He's going to survive. Yeah. And then bang, done. It's yep. done. If you love zombies or if at least you're fascinated by zombies, you have to start with this one. It's a must-see on your list. Of all the zombie movies out there, and there are a ton of them, especially in our kind of video-on-demand era, there are a dime a dozen zombie movies. So you've got to start with this one. And if you're not a fan of zombies, but you are a fan of horror, I would um, do that as well. And second, I would say, even if you're just a fan of horror movies, I mean, this one needs to be in your top ten, along with Shining and Exorcist and The Omen and all of those classic horror Those are horror not movies. in my top 10 of anything. Okay. But if you're a horror fan, they yes, are. Yes. And this is easily in the top 10 of those movies. And third, if you're, you know, if you're like Mike and you're, you know, tentative a about... A newbie. A newbie, but you are curious about horror movies, mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead's a perfect one. It's one of the founding fathers of modern day horror. Yeah. So it's really a great place to start. And then you can kind of go down the rabbit hole of other zombie movies. <laughs> yes, which that we're are, about to go down this rabbit hole which 
I've tied a rope to my ankle, and hopefully someone's holding the rope, but I don't know who's <laughs> holding the rope. Somebody's at the top, you know. Yeah. So we haven't actually picked the next one. We so haven't, let's do it we live. We haven't selected one. So let's, this is the process, what we've been doing. So Mike has been going to our old friend Google and typing in horror movie VHS covers. Horror movie VHS covers. And he Images. Here we images. go. This so is live. He's going down the list and he is going to select one off of here. Because here's what I will say. I think it has to be Nightmare on Elm Street. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. <laughs> Remember yeah. from episode 101. But this is it right here. You We're see finally going to watch Robot. Ro- We're going to watch Robot Hand. <laughs> We're going to watch Robot Hand. Oh, look at this. And it even says how we were talking about 25 coolest VHS covers. So I think it has to be Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, That's the next one we're going to watch. How did he get that hand? I'm so curious. You're going to find out. Does he have a mom? He has a robot mom. A robot Um, mom. No. So the next movie we're going to watch is Wes Craven's 1984 classic Nightmare on Elm Street. Casey, this is terrifying. There's somebody on fire. On the back cover. Yeah, I remember this oh, case. Oh, I don't want. Oh, this okay, case everybody, freaked thank me you for, out. Thank you, everybody, for coming to the last episode of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is it. We've had a lot of fun with these we've two, but we've got to get to bed and <laughs> yeah. actually get some sleep. Oh my God, no! It's actually, I'm, I'm very, I'm excited to go into this one because we've essentially the last two are on the national registry of American films. I don't know if Nightmare on Elm Street is on there or not. We would have to look that up. We'll fill you in on that in the next yeah, podcast. Some research needs but to I'm be done. excited to watch watch this movie because so far you've liked your experiences. I've loved them, but I also think I got lucky because I think we have to do the scare scale on this one. And I yeah. would say it's very scary and not that gory and da da da. By episode 107, I'm sure we'll have like an official scare scale, yeah. but like we don't have it yet. So I'm just going to say this one was very scary, but it, it didn't, it's not going to give me nightmares by any means, but Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> literally has the word nightmare in the title. Yep. So... Oh my gosh. I'm looking forward to Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm glad I get to share it with you, Mike. That's going to be fun. So join us next week for our next episode of the horror section as we dive headfirst into Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm not watching this one alone or at night. Oh my God. Once again, I am Casey Campbell. And I am Michael Anderson. And thank you for stepping into the horror section. So, Case, you said you were going to look it up. Yeah, you hear that term, the witching hour, but I don't know what time that is. So I looked it up online. According to um, a very reliable source, Wikipedia. Science. It's just fact. (laughs) In Western Christian tradition, the hour between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. was considered the witching hour. Oh, wow. Why? And then they moved it up between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 (laughs) a.m. Because so, of daylight savings time? Because bars closed. <laughs> okay, yep, yep. But now, more recently, the hours between midnight and 2 a.m. are considered the witching why hour. Why is it witching hour? They keep moving it around. Yeah, why? What is it? Budgets. <laughs> but what is the witching hour? I don't... It's when um, any period of bad luck or something like when when the, uh, when the mischief happens or back in the day, like... It's, it's a time of night associated with supernatural events. Oh, That's so what it says. Creatures such as witches, demons, and ghosts are thought to appear and be at their most powerful. The mischievous hour was three to four, and then they're like, no, 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 no one's actually awake to validate the mischievousness. Oh, man. I feel like everything back then, like, if something shitty happened, they were just like, well, it's a demon. <laughs> yep. It's a witch. When in reality, it was like gum disease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>